Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is April Gargiulo, the founder and CEO of Vintner's Daughter. Welcome, April. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Priya. We're happy to have you. So, April, your background is not the classic say, beauty entrepreneur. You weren't um, in the beauty industry prior to launching the brand in 2014. Tell us a little bit about where you got your idea from and mm-hmm. uh, and how you landed here. So I, uh, my family comes from Napa. They, we still make wine there. And Napa Valley is a community that's very much focused on quality and craftsmanship and making the very finest in, of, of everything they do, really. But the focus, of course, is on wine. So that was the world I grew up in. It's the family I grew up in. And I was also somebody who had simply struggled with my skin all my life. I had cystic acne and discoloration and then all the fun things that come along as you get older. And was using what I thought were the best products. They were expensive products. They were written about a lot. Celebrities use them. And, you know, a familiar refrain for first-time moms, but I'm pregnant with my first daughter and I start looking at the ingredients, right? And what I recognize is that these, again, luxury, air quote, luxury products I'm using are 0.01% active ingredient, if that. The rest is filler, very low-quality filler that in many cases is also toxic. So none of that sat right from, with me. Coming from Napa Valley, where practically every grain of dirt is considered for its quality, True luxury for me is when you start with the finest ingredients in the world and you honor those ingredients through very thoughtful, very methodical formulation practices. And the products I was using were anything but. And so that was the genesis of Vintner's Daughter. I wanted to create a true luxury skincare company that was founded on the same philosophical foundations as fine winemaking. So, April, when you started Vintner's Daughter, it was around the time that, you know, this conversation around clean was mm-hmm. happening. Um, and also around the time that, you know, the beauty industry was very focused on multiple products, seasonal drops. You launched with one product. Mm-hmm. Why was that? It, and you're exactly right. This was the era of the 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 500-step Korean routine. And for me, I was somebody who, again, I was I was... I was somebody who'd always struggled with my skin and the idea that I would have to put 10 or 11 different things on my face to get results felt crazy to me. I wanted as few as product of products as possible, but I also wasn't willing to compromise any, any of the results. And so for me, it was about servicing the skin in a very deep foundational way and about creating products that could do that, that, that then because they were so powerful, because they were so multi-correctional, you didn't need as many. And now I think people think that it was this like strategic marketing thing to do to have one product. And let me tell you one product no one understood at, at first. I would, and I, I knew no one, so I'm cold calling retailers and I would finally get an appointment and I would show them Active Botanical Serum, our first product, and they would love it. They would be so excited about it, so excited to bring it in. And then they would tell me, well, call us back when you have your next product because they literally did not know what to do with a single skew. Like they did not know how to merchandise a single skew. They didn't know how to talk about a single skew. It was all about systems, right? This which in my mind feels very dated. And so it was it was years before we had traction in in the retail world because again, the retailers simply just didn't understand what to do with a single skew. So 
like the products you kind of previously alluded to, you know, this hero luxury status product, you know, Vintner's Daughter Serum, that serum, the active botanical serum, achieved cult status largely in, in the beauty community. So how are you able to kind of do that, leverage that, uh, but also face this distribution problem? What was your approach to retail partners? Right. So, you know, again, I'm not coming from the beauty world. So it was it was really built off the strength of the product itself. Imagine that. Not um, not, <laughs> right? not packaging, not, <laughs> not packaging, not marketing, not celebrity. It was built off the, the 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 product itself, what was inside the bottle. And and it was built off of what I always very joyfully, very gratefully call G to G, girlfriend to girlfriend. It was friends telling friends, coworkers telling coworkers, daughters telling their mothers, people getting stopped on the street asking, what are you using on your skin? And that has really always been our growth. And now, listen, we were very lucky that everyone has this, this amplified platform in, in, from social and Instagram in particular that allowed everyone who fell in love with Vintner's Daughter to tell everyone they knew about Vintner's Daughter. So that was a huge part of that G to G growth is that all of those, all those G's, all those, all those ladies had this ability to really amplify their experience and they were having transformational experiences with the product and they wanted to share it with their friends. But how do you kind of combat, I mean, the serum obviously isn't, um, inexpensive. Mm -hmm. You want to tell our listeners how much it, it is? Yeah, it's $185. So $185. And so that's obviously an expensive price point. Well, but Priya, let me just tell you, now that I know, again, I, I, I was coming from the world of wine, not from the world of beauty. Now that I know the inside of what traditional beauty margins are, if I priced active botanical serum based on traditional beauty margins, it would be well in the $400 range. So what are your margins, April? What can you tell me? I am not going to tell you my margins, but I can tell you that, you know, you're familiar with traditional beauty margins, which are like criminal as far as I'm concerned. And... We're, we're not in that world. It has it is it is why we are also um, there's certain opportunities that we can't move forward with because we simply don't have the margins to be able to uh, pay those marketing dollars or, you know, all the different kind of programs that exist within like the retail world. So within retail, you know, who were your first partners and who were, who did get it? Who did understand? Yeah, that's a great question. So like Cat Beauty was one of the very first. I remember emailing um, the cat the, the the founders of Cat Beauty very early on and saying, "I'm so excited about what you guys are doing. My product's coming out soon. Can I show it to you?" They were they were one of the very first. Um, some local in the Bay Area, some local retailers who are really focused on crafts and craftsmanship, and they're not necessarily beauty retailers. One in the particular was called March, but they celebrate craft and craftsmanship and artisanship. And so they were one of our early retailers as well. So what about um, players like Goop, mm -hmm. you know, who obviously really Goop's changed. an incredible partner for us. Uh -huh. So how was that kind of storytelling element really enabling you and then obviously your own D2C site to kind mm -hmm. of leverage this content piece. Because on one product, you know, there's some, there are limitations to how much content you can produce around that product. I know. So interestingly, you know, we had a single product for five years and sent an email about that single product once a week for five years. Had an Instagram post once a day about that product for five years. And it's such a complex product. There are so many angles to the story and ways in which it, it communicates with the skin that we never felt like we didn't have something to say. And in terms of Goop, I mean, Goop's an incredible partner to us, an incredible platform, and their community has always been very receptive to 
who we who we are, what we stand for as a brand. And we've yeah, that they've been Goop's been incredible, incredible partner for us. So how do you kind of play that? the single product piece Mm -hmm. and the content piece in the larger beauty landscape. Because, you know, oftentimes people are working with influencers, people Mm -hmm. are working with celebrities Mm -hmm. to create this never-ending content vault Mm -hmm. because you can't just talk about product launches every day. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about the same imagery every day. So how do you kind of see yourself sitting within that? And do you feel pressure when that's the landscape? We sit outside of that. It's, is all I can tell you is we sit outside of that. And I think for me, it it's this idea of being disciplined as the founder, as a CEO, I have to, there's, there's constantly, we're, we're in a lucky position that there are constantly kind of bright, shiny objects out there, but we have to follow our path and we have to stay true to who Vintner's Daughter is. And for us, that is only making game changing category defining like products that transform our customers' lives. Right. And that doesn't follow a every three month introduction cycle. It just simply doesn't. So that was something that I had to be very, I had to get comfortable with that early on. And I was getting comfortable with the idea of maybe we only ever have one product. Like if, and if I can create one product that changes people's lives, then I'm feeling really good about that. So I don't, I don't compare us to other brands. I think when you get into the game of comparing yourself to other brands and, oh, well, they're over there and they're doing this and they're over there and they're doing that, it takes you away from your true self as, and I don't mean as a person, but I mean as a company. And so for us, it was, it's always about following our North Star and being very true to that. But at the same time, there have been followers, right? There are other brands now that are playing on these single skew, single product strategies. I know, I mean, it's so fascinating to me. Because I only see the hard part of it. And so the fact that people are now doing it as if it's this marketing idea is, is um, I guess I should be flattered by it. But it's, yeah, it's, just, it's super interesting. Like, so these huge big companies that have tons of, tons of um, obviously money and investment at their disposal for them to have this idea that they're just going to do one product. The reality is that then they quickly come out with another one six months later. Right. But it's not just big companies. I mean, when you think about it, of course, there's like the streetwear drop kind of model Mm -hmm. that we're seeing in beauty. But then, you know, you see influencers doing it like the Summer Fridays girls and Mm -hmm. founders, you know, had that one mask for a year. And, you know, you're seeing that people think, you know, there's a solve. This is going to solve all my beauty needs. Is that how you thought of it when you were doing it? I thought of it as creating this one product that was going to offer such incredible multi-correctional performance. I wanted to create a product that was, again, this like a truly luxury product and not luxury because of a price tag, luxury because of what it is made from and how it is made. That, that, was, that was my goal. And to me, that was going to translate, and, and luckily it did, into a product that would offer serious lasting results. So April, who was your customer back then in 2014? Mm. Who was she age, psychographic information, and who is she now? Yeah. So I think about this a lot. We think about this a lot. And and there is no one single age. There is no one single geography that defines her. We can't even say it's a her because we have incredible um, amounts of men who also use Vintner's Daughter. I mean, it was GQ's grooming product of the year. So for us, when we think about what defines our customer, it is someone who values substance, who values how something is made, who values what something is made from. 
Do you think that necessarily corresponds to a certain income level or a certain metro distribution? It doesn't it doesn't have anything really to do with metro. We would have thought that we would have been more on the kind of the coasts. It's not. We're spread all over the country. And I think there are just as many people who, you know, a $185 product is one of seven very expensive products they use. And there are just as many people who that is the one product that they invest in. And they use a lower price cleanser and a lower price SPF. And that's the one product that they invest in. There, there's, there is, I, I don't think valuing craftsmanship and valuing quality has anything to do with someone's income. So talk to us a little bit about how you guys moved forward. This mm-hmm. year you launched an Essence, your second product. We doubled in size. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that growth trajectory from, mm-hmm. you know, internally, obviously it took five years to create this product mm-hmm. and kind of ramp up production, scalability, you know, mm-hmm. marketing for we're this still, product. And we're still working on, on, on ramping up. And you were exclusive to your own D2C site and Goop and Goop. for this. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about what's happening yeah. there. So we worked on active treatment essence for four years. And with active botanical serum, again, we knew we were having this, this incredible communication with the skin. And we knew that was coming from how we formulate. We begin with whole plants. We spend 21 days infusing the full spectrum of nutrition from those plants into our formula so that with every drop of active botanical serum, you are getting 60 plus of the very finest nutrients and all of those nutrients in the most optimal ratios. Now, that's only telling half the story, though, because in nature, nutrients are either oil-soluble or they are water-soluble. So with serum, we're collecting and capturing all of those incredible skin-beautifying oil-soluble nutrients, and I wanted to complete that circle. I wanted to create the product that would deliver all of the water-soluble nutrients to your skin, and that is Active Treatment Essence. Active Treatment Essence is a complex product, right? It is um, not simply a hydration. It is it is also um, pre and probiotic. It is also an exfoliator. It is also a firming. It's also illuminating. There is a lot happening in active treatment essence. Every bottle takes thirty five days to make. And how, what's the price point on that? Two hundred and twenty five dollars. So you said a second ago, you know, with the you know the investment piece, mm-hmm. right? You know, maybe this is someone who is not maybe spending a lot of money on their cleanser mm-hmm. or their moisturizer, mm-hmm. but they're investing in their serum. So how are you approaching this? You know, two premium products, two prestige level products mm-hmm. in in production craftsmanship, but also price. So mm-hmm. what are you kind of? Were you worried about that? Were you concerned? Were you nervous? I think all of that, right? I mean, you have the moment where it's this product you've been working on for four years and you're so excited. And 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 also we're coming from a place where we have this product, Active Botanical Serum, that is this coveted and beloved uh, product in the Does world. Does it live up to right? the hype. Exactly. All of that. So there's all of that. And that's just fear. I mean, that's really just fear talking. And again, I have to kind of not listen to that and really go forward and really understand what is the truth in this for Vintner's Daughter. And for us, it was about creating the yin to the yang to serum. And it wasn't about creating more serum, which is the skincare Bible of doing things. I would have created, you know, active botanical serum for my eyes, for my for my legs, for my earlobe, for my, you know, that's what beauty does. They just iterate, iterate, iterate. And for us, that's not what your skin needs. Your skin doesn't need more of the same. It needs actually the complementary opposite, right? It needs the yin to the yang. And so I had to kind of get rid of that fear and really walk in this space of making what was true to Vintner's Daughter and really what's true and best for skin. So I imagine retailers and customers were very excited about this. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, you probably got a lot more inbound requests than you did in 2014 when you first launched. So why the distribution strategy be, why is it so measured? Why was it so focused when you kind of mm-hmm. probably could have been anywhere? We could have, you were, oh, absolutely. Here's, here's why. Active treatment essence is, a, again, it's a complex story to tell. It's not an easy story to say, oh, it's vitamin C. Oh, it's hyaluronic. Oh, it's a cleanser. There's no other product in the world like it. So it's it, it's a hard story to sell. You can't say, oh, this is Vintner's daughter version of this. And so we needed a partner who had a robust storytelling platform and who really wanted to invest in that with us. And that is that is Goop. And I imagine your D2C site has obviously seen such a bump and increase in, you know, traffic, conversion, mm-hmm. engagement, your Instagram as well, you know, be owning that, owning that kind of conversation as well. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Well, you know, Active Treatment Essence, it was just for the first, I think, first month that it was exclusive to Goop and our website. So it wasn't a, a really long time, but we really felt like it was only going to... Um, help our other partners because again it's this like I keep saying it's this complex story and we wanted we wanted our customers to really understand why why this product matters and uh, you know we it, it, it was growth I mean it's incredible growth we have sold out of active treatment essence three times now we're in our third sellout and this isn't because we are terrible at forecasting um, it is because the appetite for this product is so huge. And again, I, I, this, I'm like, I, I keep saying this, but it's so complex that, that, that took me a bit by surprise. So on that note, April, and I have to ask the tough questions, but when you obviously doubles, doubled the production value of your business, you doubled the assortment. Does that mean forecasts for this year are going to double in size as well? Yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair question. I don't think it will double. And, and, and most of that is because we haven't been able to keep up with demand. Production just hasn't been able to keep up with demand. You've often been compared to La Mer before La Mer was, you mm. know, La Mer and part of Estee Lauder and, you know, part of that whole kind of larger conglomerate. What is your take on that? I mean, do you think that you're comparable to them? Do you think, you know, a trajectory like that is something that you could, you know, mimic in today's mm. beauty landscape? Well, La Mer came about in a different, a very different world, right? Their only opportunity to sell was within this um, very traditional department store landscape. And so in order to, to succeed in a department store, you have to have 50 different SKUs, right? And so they had that obligation, I think, if they wanted the fact that they wanted to go, that was really your only opportunity. And so they had that obligation to really like, you know, expand their product offering. If you're just taking the original La Mer, that is a product that is so coveted and beloved the world over. To be in that same, to be mentioned in that same breath is extraordinary for me. That's such an honor. But I'm sure that also comes with a lot of inbound requests Mm -hmm. from VC, private equity, oh, and, right. I see where and you're going. CPG. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So I don't have I don't have investors. I don't know that an investor is um, an investor has a timeline, right? And they want an exit. I want to build. I want to build a generational skincare company. I want to build a heritage skincare company. I don't. I my timeline is very different. I want to build an incredible brand, renowned in the world for the very finest, most effective skincare in the world. And that is not that doesn't have like a three year time horizon. That is not something that's constantly be measured by revenue. That's I always put skin and our brand before revenue. 
So how do you kind of approach growth then? Well, you still have to grow, right? I mean, so I approach growth. I look at growth and I think of on-brand growth. And it's not growth that is on-brand. It is very purposely, we say, on-brand growth because it's the brand that comes first. So when you think about what that entails, whether Mm -hmm. that's marketing, Mm -hmm. influencers, celebrities, out of home, what do you think is driving that? Um. That's it's a you know what it's a it's a cross section of so many different things right we think of it as storytelling for us like we always want to be able to tell these very compelling substantive stories and we can do that across social we can do that on our website we can do that through email we also do that through our incredible ecosystem of now a hundred plus retailers around the world and so we want to keep amplifying those storytelling opportunities. Do you think that and I know you don't pay influencers mm-hmm. or pay celebrities. Mm-hmm. But do you think that 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 they can enable and help that storytelling component? Oh I mean, my, do of you course. Think that, but I'm sure people obviously want to be paid. So how do you kind of leverage, you know, hey, I'm this influencer. I love your product. I want to use your product. I want to talk about your product mm. when everybody's paying influencers. I mean, we don't we don't we don't pay for marketing. We never have. We don't. Again, it's it's a. a I don't know how to say it. We feel like we it's a it's a it's a word of mouth. So no digital spend. No None. Nothing. No Facebook, no Instagram. Ever. Nothing. Really. Ever. So all marketing right now is organic and word of Earned. mouth. Earned. Yes. Wow. That's very impressive. So then what is the next phase for marketing then? I mean, organic and word of mouth marketing can only go so far. Mm. I think it could go far. I think we've just, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg for us. We have, we haven't opened a new retailer in, gosh, probably 12 months. And so we have a list a mile long of retailers and and partners that we want to work with. Our storytelling, I think, again, we've just scratched the tip of the surface with what we can do with these incredible, um, you know, all the social platforms and website and video and all of the ways that we can tell our story. I want to develop a Vintner's Daughter experience. I want to understand what that looks like. I want to know what that looks like at home at in, in Northern California amongst the vines. I want to know what that looks like. How do we bring that to New York? How do we bring that to Los Angeles? How do we bring that to Tokyo? And those are the ways that I'm thinking about really increasing our storytelling. Do you mean in the sense of like pop-ups or community events? Or I don't think it would look like anything else that you've ever seen. And so we have to understand what that means to us because a Vintner's Daughter experience, I want it to be deeply, deeply substantive. I want it to feed your soul. I don't want it to be an Instagram opportunity. It has to be something that is deeply, deeply connective. What's your um, approach to international? Because I imagine, you know, obviously, you know, the Asian customer Mm -hmm. is much more ahead than the U.S. customer in terms of, you know, technique and skincare routines and are always wanting the best and brightest. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that approach, that customer versus who she is here. So we don't have a lot of experience in that market yet. Our only means of distributing throughout Asia is with Net-A-Porte right now. And Net-A-Porte is an incredible customer and and they're able to share data with us. But we don't have, I don't have a a long track record. Do you think that that's something that you want to Oh my gosh, of course. Absolutely, of course. And I think, you know, that customer is very used to a system. Uh, And so I don't think that um, it, 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 it will take a lot of, again, a lot of education around what we stand for and what our products stand for. But I'm sure a solve to that 12-step routine, right? 
Yes, I mean, absolutely. But I also think that that is culturally like very ingrained in how you take care of your skin. So it's it's a lot of education. So April, now that the genie's out of the bottle, you know, with the essence, mm. I'm sure, I'm sure people are asking, when's the next one? Oh, the day that I talked about <laughs> essence, people were asking me, what's the next one? I thought, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It took me four years to make this. I don't know what the next one is. I ha- I'm not actively, I have some things in my head, but again, you know, for us to make something, it has to be game changing, you know, category defining. And I don't throw those words around lightly. Like that is really, those are, those are these very high standards that we live up to. So it's not to say that we won't ever have another product. I hope we will, but I don't have anything, you know, up my sleeve right this minute. Not nothing you can share. Today. No, I mean, I'm still reveling in, in essence. I still every day think, oh my gosh, this is the most extraordinary product. I'm so happy with this product. April, last question. We're in this kind of state of skincare right now where clean is really the definer. You know, you're seeing Sephora have a take in it. You know, Walgreens has a stake in it. Target. What's interesting to me so much about your brand is that even though, you know, you may sit, you could sit in those assortments, you aren't driving that point home in the way that, say, other brands are. Mm. Why have you, when clean has obviously become a marketing tactic, um, and a differentiator. Why were you able to withstand that? Why were you able to kind of like sit outside of that? Because you aren't singing that story in every story. Right. I think, well, there's a, it, it's, it's a multi-layered answer, right? For me, number one, I think clean should be table stakes. I think that is that is baseline. And so for us, that was a given. And what we really wanted was performance. Remember, I'm I'm coming from somebody who was always struggling with her skin. So for me, like, the again, clean is table stakes, fine. Moving on. Now let's get serious and let's make something that is performance driven, that is multi-correctional. So it was never about not Trading believing it. No, because I mean, a lot of that is also fear based, right? It's the same reason why I don't ever say anti-aging. It's all fear based. We want to really make something that is talking about what this product does and what it offers, not what it doesn't. Thank you so much, April. It's great having you. Thank you so much, Priya. I was so happy to be here. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.